brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to Spider-Man's life. Bad before good. It's kind of amazing. So to get the girl of his dreams, he'll have to run the gauntlet of the Green Goblin, the Rhino, two vultures, and a mysterious man in the shadows controlling it all. Because the GHL Book Club episode on Spider-Man Blue is now in session. Hello and welcome to Geek History Lesson. I am Jason Thwip Thwip Inman. I am Ashley Victoria Robinson. Welcome to our Mind University because you have stumbled onto the podcast where we take one character, construct, or book from pop culture and teach you everything you need to know about it in about an hour. And today we're doing the book because it's our book club episode. Yeah, so this episode's a little bit different because we're going to tackle down on a book that we recommended a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we're going to go through it page by page by page by panel by panel by panel by word by word by word and spoil it at all. So this is a spoiler warning. If you haven't read Spider-Man Blue, this is exactly what this episode is going to be about. Also, I want to start with a little caveat. I am in the middle of a head cold, so if I sound funny, don't tell me I know. Ashley's a little blue. Like Spider-Man is blue in this book. Thank you, Jason. Speaking of things that are also blue and things that I think the Geek History Lesson fans will also like, my book Super Soldiers also has a cover that is blue. It's true. So if you like Geek History Lesson and you like uh, comic book characters and you would like to examine comic book characters that have served in the military by a real United States combat veteran, that's me, then go pick up my book Super Soldiers, a salute to the comic book heroes and villains that have served our country. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and everywhere you can pick up bookstores. And it's a pretty good book. I think so anyway. So go check it out. I'd give it six out of five Bregos. Six out of five Bregos. Yes, we are joined again today by the GHL intern Brego Cat. Kind of switched that around today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is in the studio and I know he's very concerned about Spider-Man Blue because he thinks he's a spider, see, and he wants to chase him down. He likes to chase spiders. That is true. <laughs> um, Ashley, before we get into the book, um, I think we have maybe talked about this a long, long time ago because very early in Geek History Lesson history, we did an episode on Spider-Man, a two-parter. And we learned that Spider-Man's biggest enemy, of course, is poverty. Mm-hmm. But... I want to just refresh the audience here. Ashley, what are your Spidey bona fides? Do you like Peter Parker, Spider-Man? How many 
you know, how long have you been reading? Like, where is your, like, let's just, I guess we could just call this the meet Q to Spider-Man. Sure. Well, yeah, where, what's your meet Q to Spider-Man? Like, what is your Spider-Man fandom? Like, how much do you like him? How much do you hate him compared to other comic book characters? I like Spider-Man a lot. I like Peter Parker Spider-Man a lot. I think, like, most people, I don't have a very clear memory of my first encounter with Spider-Man because... He is such an integral part of our pop culture lexicon. The 90s Spider-Man series being very integral, of course. I like Peter Parker. I've enjoyed him at his most when he is like a middle-aged dad who is successful. Like, I love married Peter Parker. I love an older Peter Parker. Um, And cinematically, I would say that Peter Parker could go to bed for a while and we could play with some of the other Spider characters. Mm -hmm. But Well, that's um, why you... you, um you empathize with Peter B. Parker from Into the Spider-Verse so much. I love him. So that's my preferred Peter yes. Parker. <laughs> yeah. Dad fun Peter Parker. He's the best. Um, uh, yeah, I like Spider-Man a little sad, and I think we'll get into that as we talk through this book club. Well, this book is all about Spider-Man being uh, sad. How about you, Jason? We know that you love uh, Miles and Miguel, so that means you hate Peter Parker, right? No, I like Peter Parker, too, but I'm, I'm with you. I like older Peter Parker as well. Mm-hmm. So that's why this story, I like this story quite a bit, because it feels like we're dealing with an older Peter Parker looking back at his past. I'm not a fan of high school Peter Parker. I guess maybe because... You know, I kind of read 30 years of Spider-Man yeah. being in high school. Yeah, and yeah. I think I also kind of think that Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis sort of perfected Peter Parker in high school. Mm-hmm. And so that's for me, like in terms of the movies, in terms of the TV shows, in terms of future cartoons. I kind of feel like been there, done that. And I think that's why, yeah, characters like Miles are so exciting to me because we haven't spent 60 years with Miles yet. We've Mm -hmm. only spent 10. So I would like to see a lot more of Miles and I'd like to see a lot more of the other Spider-Mans. My first connection to Spider-Man, actually, if I remember right, is, yeah, he's all in the culture. He's everywhere. I honestly think... I used to have a Mego Spider-Man. Uh-huh. Now, it's kind of like sort of like the doll toy, like like a Barbie is what a Mego were. They were these like, taller figures that were released soft, in the 70s. Soft bodies, um, um, plastic head, hands, and feet. Yeah. We um, found him in a pawn shop in Chinook, Kansas, this Mego know, Spider-Man. How much money that would be worth? I know, and I don't know what the hell happened he to him He probably loved him until he disintegrated. He, he probably got you know thrown in a box somewhere and lost to the mm-hmm. sands of time, but he was my Spider-Man toy, and I kind of think that was my first introduction to Spider-Man. Oh, I love um, that. Was that toy because yeah the cartoon popped up yeah I kind of feel like like Star Wars I just always knew what Spider-Man was yeah so yeah there you go alright let's hop into the 10 cent origin of Spider-Man Blue here uh of course, this was a... Actually, what's the Tencent Origin? The Tencent Origin, Jason, is the first part of the podcast where Professor Jason is going to give you all the basic uh, who's it's and what's it's and created bys that you need to know in case you go to a cool cocktail party and someone asks you, uh, what's Spider-Man Blue about? Spider-Man Blue is a mini-series, a limited series, that was published by Marvel Comics from July 2002 to April 2003. Almost about 20, 20 years old now. It was written by Jeff Loeb and drawn by Tim Sale. Of course, uh, actually, what other luminary books have those two gentlemen done? Well, they have also done Daredevil Yellow and Hulk Gray and a Captain America book that we're going to pretend doesn't exist. And over at DC, they're well known for the Long Halloween and Dark Victory, uh, much recommended by us here on this here podcast. Yes, that is correct. And the official synopsis, if uh, Goodreads will let it load for me. Dun, dun, um, dun. The official synopsis for Spider-Man Blues is... 
It's about remembering someone so important to me that I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. What Peter Parker doesn't know was that meant Gwen Stacy, that's business, this is a badly written synopsis, would only get to spend the rest of her life with him. That is how the story of how they fell in love. Welcome to Spider-Man's life. Bad before good and everything I read in the beginning. Um, Join the Eisner award-winning team of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale and the story about Peter Parker's first love, Gwen Stacy, highlighted by the introduction of Mary Jane Watson. It is a critical moment in Spider-Man's life when everything was just coming together only to fall apart. So, as we said, there will be spoilers, and we're going to be talking about a little bit of everything as we go through Spider-Man Blue. So if you haven't done the reading, you're going to be behind. Ashley. Yes. Let's start off. What do you want to, like, we're, we're diving into Spider-Man Blue. What do you want to say about this book? I want to talk about the framing device. Oh, okay. Even though that's not spoiled to the end, but that's fine. Uh, Yeah, that's very true. But... I guess the synopsis just spoiled it, too. Well, look, if you know Peter Parker's intro... That's what you're getting. Okay, let's talk about the framing device. What is the explain the framing device? So the framing device of this story is Peter Parker, right, reflecting on this. So it's blue in the sense that there were these color schemes, but it's also blue in that sort of jazz sense of like of sad and melancholy, right? And the first five pages of the book are completely blue. Which I think is very cool. Um I like to imagine what the book would have been like if it was only colored blue. And then I wonder if have you spent too much time reading it, if you would see orange highlights when you looked back up at the rest of the world. Mm. But um, so it's a very moody book and it goes through and it's very obviously Peter's point of view. And then at the end, it's revealed that um, Peter has been going through boxes in the attic and that he's been accessing some very physical items that are bringing him this memory. And this is something that... We've seen in fiction before, but you tend to see in like a Hallmark movie. Yeah, like this it, is a very like feminine framing device, which I think is interesting. Well, I also want to talk about this framing device is a signature of Jeff Loeb mm-hmm. and Tim Sale, mm-hmm. especially Jeff Loeb. There are many issues of the Jeff Loeb written series Superman Batman where Jeff Loeb will have an ongoing narrator with his mm-hmm. caption boxes, and sometimes that narrator has nothing to do with the issue. Now, sometimes well, Long Halloween is narrated by Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in Superman Batman, they're narrated by the different characters, but Jeff Loeb sometimes. Leans on this trick a little too hard. I can remember when he was writing Superman with Ed McGinnis. Mm-hmm. There is an issue of Superman fighting aliens in in during the Our World at War storyline, mm-hmm. which is this big cosmic-y Superman fights alien bad guys. It doesn't matter. The caption box narration for the entire issue is the Gettysburg Address. I am not joking. So to me, that's bad Jeff Loeb. I don't like the way that boxes. sounds. <laughs> um, it's bad. Jeff Loeb leans on caption boxes for good and for ill. Mm -hmm. Um, That's how he tells his comic book stories instead of letting his artists just tell the story. Um, I find it effective here. I'm going to put this out right at the beginning. I think this story requires you to have a pretty strong knowledge of Spider-Man or else you're lost. This can't be your first Spider-Man book. No. I will I will definitely give you that. Because otherwise you have no idea what happens to Gwen. Like we do not You don't know why and especially before yeah. Spider-Gwen, mm-hmm. you don't know why she matters. Exactly. We we well there's the famous event is the death of Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most famous events in Spider-Man history. But unless you know that, yeah. You don't you don't we don't see that in this book. I actually kind of feel like we should have seen 
that in this book. I don't know if you're a casual fan, again, before Spider-Gwen and before Spider-Verse, knew, even knew about that. Because I remember when Gwen Stacy was cast in Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. people didn't know who she was. Everyone wants to know why it wasn't Mary Jane. Like, I think... Because she was the lead of the first movies. But Gwen Stacy was in Spider-Man 3. I mean, if you want to give her that much credit, well, sure. she was. I mean, she was. I don't think she's named yeah, she on is. camera. Yeah, she is. And you even meet her dad. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I just don't think before Spider-Gwen, I don't think she was that much a part of the zeitgeist as this book requires if you're a casual reader. I agree. Um, I will say Gwen Stacy, I don't think is as forgotten as you think she is because she's also in the Spider-Man animated cartoon as well. Again, I just think for the layperson yes. who's maybe it's only familiar with the mainstream movies up to that point, I don't. I don't think... I don't think many people knew who she was. That's all. So let's talk about something that is really big in this book, Tim Sale's art. Ashley, I know you're a big fan of Tim Sale. I think he draws a an amazing-looking Spider-Man in this book. I think some of these Spider-Man panels look fantastic. I think they look so good. I would love to own them. What do you feel about Tim Sale's Spider-Man? Because I think he's a very, I think he's a great Spider-Man artist in this book. Yeah, Tim Sale is one of my all-time favorite comic book artists. He draws one of my favorite Batmans. He draws my favorite interpretation of Dick Grayson Robin. And where he really excels is in his use of line work. And he is one of those artists who uses a lot of really, really thin lines and a lot of detail to get his... um, I guess thesis of the page across. And I think for Spider-Man with that costume design, it really, really works. And his the way he draws Spider-Man is actually maybe one of the most conventional ways that he draws a character. Usually when you look at Tim Sale art, you can tell a mile away, like, this is definitely Tim Sale. But actually my favorite piece of Tim Sale art in this whole book is the cover to issue two which is all of Gwen's hair that's down in front of her face. And Spider-Man is swinging in between these big yellow panels. And it amazed me to learn, well, after I had read this book, um, that Tim Sale is actually colorblind. And so um, the colorists that he's paired with and that he chooses to work with are really, really integral in breathing that life into his work. And so it's interesting to me that uh, Tim Sale is maybe on the Marvel side most well known for this color series where maybe he can't see all the colors the way that we do. And that my favorite thing about that piece of art is the big swaths of yellow hair. I just find that ironic. I want to talk a little bit about Peter Parker's motorcycle that he buys in issue one <laughs> from Big Al's Motorcycle Shop. Mm-hmm. Now, Peter Parker has a long-standing tradition on wanting to buy fancy speeding cars, uh, even though he's a New Yorker. To impress ladies. There's a big plot line. Spider-Man won the movie mm-hmm. where he wants to win the competition to buy the little red roadster that's $2,000 uh, to impress Mary Jane. And in this, he wants to buy a motorcycle from Big Al. And he buys a little red motorcycle because he sees his little gang outside. And Gwen says that she likes it fast. And that's the reason why she rides with him. I think this motorcycle is a metaphorical representation of Spider-Man. That's the reason why it's red. I think that's the reason why um, all the girls are impressed when it's around. And Mm. I think that's all the reason why he smiles when he's on the motorcycle. Because I think that the motorcycle is a representation of that is when Peter is at his best. 
Peter is at his best when he's Spider-Man because he embraces both sides of his. Because when he's dopey Peter Parker, he has to like hide his powers and he has to yeah. do things. But when he's Spider-Man, that's the reason why he's the quipster. He can be himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this motorcycle, I think that's the whole reason why we have this motorcycle in, and, the, and the reason why we keep coming back to the motorcycle throughout this storyline. Do you think Peter Parker has a driver's license? Um, I mean, he has to, to ride that motorcycle. I actually don't think he does. No, I, I don't. I actually, I mean, I don't know. Like, please, I know we have a lot of listeners in New York that are listening to this podcast. Number one and number two cities. Yeah. Do you have a driver's license? Is that a thing? I mean, I honestly like. I've been in New York a couple. You know, like a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Actually, I probably think about like eight times now. Um, I wouldn't have a driver's license if I lived in New York, unless I lived in New Jersey. I don't know if you're born and raised in Queens. I don't know if it's like a thing to get your driver's license. I don't know. Any, is anybody out there listening Let to this podcast know. in Queens? Do you have a driver's license? Is that a thing? <laughs> you know, your subway system rocks. I don't know why you would have a, although they're going to be like now emailing us, be like, our subway system's terrible. So, all right, Ashley, I want to ask you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and listeners, you might be wondering, like, why aren't we going into plot specifics? This one, this book is very hard to talk about plot specifics. It's very emotional based. It's yeah. very subtle and it's very about symbolism. There's not a lot to really dig down on besides, like, the emotional themes. It's not even, um, it's not even Peter's classic origin. It's an exploration of his feelings about Gwen and then it's an exploration of his feelings about Mary Jane. And then it's an exploration about Mary and Gwen's relationship. And then it kind of ties up in a little bow. And yes, you know, the Green Goblin shows up and yeah, there's some bad guys, but that's not the focus of the book. Well, we got to say, I think uh, in issue two, Peter has the best way that I've ever seen that he takes down the rhino. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's inspired from another comic or not. It might be. But uh, I actually think him dissolving the rhino's armor is genius because yeah, yeah. I love when Peter Parker uses his science brain. Let's talk about this. There is a thread going through the story of Dr. Kurt Connors yes, and, his, and his family. Now, Dr. Kurt Connors is sort of like this representation of Peter when Peter, you know, if, if he used his science powers too far because Dr. Kirk Connors loses his family. And as we see later on in this storyline, Peter cures the lizard mm-hmm. right before his family shows up. What do you think about the storyline? I think this is something that I would love to see brought into the main continuity. And I think it also is very reflective of the themes. Like, Kirk Connors is a character that we often empathize with, but he always has to wind up being the bad guy again in the end. And I think that's a little sad. Um, but because Peter's family, in the non-traditional sense, right, of his friend group, is about to be shattered irrevocably, I think there's a nice moment that he's sort of able to give this back to one of his villains. Yeah, I actually really like I actually really like the moment where um, he gives Kurt back to his family because that is a that is a a storyline that has oh you know been repeated in many Spider-Man runs mm-hmm. and in the current Spider-Man runs I think Dr. Kurt Connors' whole family are lizards. Like his wife, oh, yeah. his wife and his son, I think, got infected with the lizard virus, so they're lizards as well. So they're like this weird lizard family that lives in the in the you know sewers. Um, all right, kind of love that for him. Let's get to um, three main things here. Okay. okay, yeah, like issue three and issue issue four and five, excuse me, are basically all about fighting the vultures. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's a dude, there's a weird dude riding that has the vulture suit, which is a common theme in Spider-Man because Ned Leeds finds Norman Osborn's goblin equipment becomes the goblin, the hobgoblin. So Wait, Ned Leeds. Yes. Uh so there are 
many themes in Spider-Man stories where other villains find the equipment. But we see the shadowy figure. So I'm going to talk about, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the orange, mm. we're going to talk about the red, and mm. we're going to talk about the yellow. Ah, yes. So the orange, of course, in this storyline is, well, one, represented by Flash Thompson, who gets an amazing uh, homage back to Amazing Fantasy 15 cover in issue five. It is Tim Sale, great piece of art that I think is amazing, that would be amazing to own. But I'm talking about the real orange of the whole storyline Craven the Hunter. Oh, I didn't know if you meant the jack-o'-lantern. No. Um, talking about Craven the Hunter. Now, it is revealed throughout this that Craven the Hunter is the real bad guy. He kidnaps Harry because he thinks that Harry smells like Spider-Man. And then you find out that Craven the Hunter um, has been sending all the villains against Spider-Man. What do you think about Craven the Hunter being sort of the overarching villain of this? Is Craven um useful in this storyline or do you think I have a weird theory mm. did they use Craven to hunt Spider-Man the way that Peter is hunting his loves or going after his loves like they're both going after sort of an objective is that the reason why Craven what do you, what do you feel about Craven in the storyline that's um, an interesting question that I would be like I think you're reading too much into this like my my high school English teacher brain is like I don't well, I don't really think I'm so. I'm going to say this. Sure. Because reading the storyline, and I I will say this. I I own the storyline. Uh-huh. I have this book. Mm-hmm. I used, it's funny, when I picked this up to reread it for the podcast, I was remembering so much. Like, I've read this story so many times that, like, panels were coming back to me. Yeah, where I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, I remember that yeah. panel. I remember that panel. And it's probably been, like, probably eight years since I've read it the last time. This story did not hold up for me as well as it did. And I think the reason why is because it's mostly about symbolism. This story is really, 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 really great the first time you read mm-hmm. it. And it's really, 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 really great if you read it when you're like under 25. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> it, this this story is more emotional than plot based. Yes. And, it te- it, and there's nothing wrong with it. It tells you that, I think, right in the title. So circling all the way back to your Craven question. I think Craven is a great framing device if you need an excuse for why all of these if you're going to bother to explain why all these villains are coming after Spider-Man and you're not going to be able to suffice with well it's because he's Spider-Man you know what I mean mm-hmm. because like why are they coming after Spider-Man because he's the protagonist of the book and they have to come after him so if you're looking for a sort of meta narrative explanation Craven as his functionality of the universe is a really great choice also I think you actually hit upon why they picked Craven when you brought up the color orange. Mm. Orange is the uh, complementary color to blue. Mm. So if your book is called Spider-Man Blue, your Going villain back to the symbolism color theory. See, uh, told, told, your book should feature your villain should feature orange. Yeah, I don't know. I think again, this was their attempt to sort of make it tie together when it doesn't really sure. tie together. Um, okay, let's now talk about the red. Yes, this Ma- is my favorite. This is my favorite thing. Mary Jane. This is my favorite thing about M- this book. Mary Jane Watson in this book. Let's talk about the character of her all the way through. Um, Mary Jane is a very adventurous lady. Yeah, she's a very um, outgoing lady. Uh, her introduction into this book, where you don't see her face, is exactly the way it was done in Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And then Face It Tiger, you hit the jackpot, is exactly the way it was done. This is a very forceful Mary. This is like probably a more rambunctious Mary than had been seen in the comic books at the time this came out in 2002. 
I really enjoy this version of Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. I really like this version of Mary Jane. What do you feel about this version of Mary Jane and how she's portrayed in the story? That because as we know by the end of this, he he ends up with Mary Jane, but the ending really gives you the idea that Mary was his second choice. Although I will say, from the way this is written, I think Mary Jane should obviously be the first choice. Like she's the one that care like. We we get the impression that Mary Jane cares more about Peter than Gwen does from this book, I think. So I have many thoughts. All right. Uh, firstly, one of the things that I love about Tim Sale is he draws ugly people. Yep. Everyone Tim Sale draws looks like a weird brick that kind of got smashed against a wall. And to watch him draw Gwen and then Mary specifically as beautiful is just really cool to watch him break out of his house style. And that's what really works about him on a Batman book. And I think his Mary Jane is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that for her. I love a capable Mary Jane. I have no problem with Mary Jane being gorgeous and sexy and a model and all of those things. But sometimes um, because of the time she was created or sometimes because of bad writing, she can be a little dumb. And I like it when she's not. I like it when she knows that. She's hot stuff and she knows that she has power and she goes after what she wants. That's what makes her a good compliment to Peter because Peter has no confidence mm-hmm. except when he is Spider-Man. So I, I like her and I like her with functionality. It's one of the things that I think is great about the Spider-Man PS4 video game. And oh, she so has You play as Mary Jane. Yeah, and she yeah. has a point of view and she knows what she wants and she's going after what she wants. That's why she's great. I never understood the Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane rivalry because for me, like... It's always Mary Jane. Like, she is for Peter. Mm. Gwen's function is is to die. She's the sacrificial lamb. That's, you know, too bad, so sad. And then to go on and become a spider person in an alternate universe. What I love about Mary Jane in this book most of all is that she knows that Gwen Stacy... I don't think Peter loves her more, but I think she was Peter's, like, first true love. Mm -hmm. And I think Mary Jane knows that. And because they're a little older when we revisit them in the end of the book, she's mature enough to be okay with that. And I really love that. I love that she's not jealous of Gwen. I love that she's not bitter. I love that she's not mad that Peter is like up there having a moment and dealing with his feelings. And in in fact, after Mary's introduction, the story really shows you that her and Gwen were good friends and that she loved Gwen too and that she misses her. And I think that's a really... I think it's a really powerful statement from a creative team that could have easily just pit those two characters against each other. Mm -hmm. So even though... And they do at a couple points. Sure they do, because they were teenage girls. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think even though Gwen is, for all intents and purposes, the romantic lead, and I think Gwen gets some of the greatest pieces of art in this book, I think it's a really good showing for Mary Jane. Mm -hmm. I really like... Like, she's my favorite part of this book. Well, let's go to the yellow. Um, You made the comment that you don't understand what the Gwen Stacy of it is all. Now, I think that... I just don't understand their rivalry. Oh, I was going to say, well, well, no, you kind of made the point that you don't understand, like, why Gwen is this great love for Peter or something Oh, like yeah, that. I did. Okay, besides him being, her being his first love. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of that comes from that, just just your time of reading Spider-Man comic books. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Now, 100%. by the time we get to the 90s, Gwen had been dead for over a decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, because Gwen is killed in the 70s. I didn't know who Gwen so. was until I started reading comics. Like, I just had no idea. Yeah. She was not part of the, the Spider-Man narrative mm-hmm. that was in the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was, all, Mary, it was Jane. all Mary Jane. Yeah. Yes, exactly. He's And by that point, he's married to Mary Jane. As he should. And so, Gw- the thing that is forgotten about Gwen, and there's a couple scenes of it in this book, but they kind of hide it. Mm-hmm. Gwen is a science nerd. 
And Gwen is just as smart as Peter. That's my favorite part of the Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. Yes. Uh, so this book kind of hides that because mm-hmm. they like to make Gwen this bombshell. And it's the idea that Gwen, Gwen is this stunning, mm-hmm. I, I don't have a better comparison, Marilyn Monroe type figure. Mm-hmm. Like she just, like if she walks down the street, every construction worker uh, whistles at her, which you shouldn't do construction workers, but um, everybody's heads turn mm-hmm. when she walks by. Like she's that stunning. And I always got the impression that with Mary Jane, now Mary Jane is very beautiful, but Mary, you love Mary Jane for her personality. Mm-hmm. Like that's funky. Yes. You're just like, you're like, wow, what a lady. Like she's the life of the party. Um, Gwen's a science nerd. Now, Gwen uses her good looks to get through life, but Gwen can keep up with Peter on the science stuff. Mm-hmm. And she, they're in the same science program. They're in the same internship. Mm-hmm. Um, Gwen is almost female Peter Parker to some respect, but she hides it better than he does mm-hmm. because she's so good. Like, you know, and the, the, the privileges that her good looks have given her. Yeah. Um, but that's the reason why he loves her. Is because he, when he meets Gwen Stacy, she can keep up with him on the like, you know, E mm-hmm. equals MC squared. I know there's a better chemical formation than that, but it's the best I can come up with. Um, so that's the thing to remember about Gwen. And Gwen and Mary fill different needs for Peter Parker's yeah. life. And it's interesting. And I, it's the reason why I, um, I like that Peter eventually marries Mary Jane is the idea that. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Him marrying Mary Jane, being more outgoing, being more out there, is very similar to him embracing being Mm Spider-Man and him being more like Spider-Man in his normal life as he grows older. I like that. To me, that's him coming out of his shell. Mm -hmm. With Gwen, he would always stay in the shell. But with Mary Jane, Mary Jane's like, ah, come on, let's go to the theater. Let's go over this. Let's go to this weird art show. Ah, you know, let's ride motorbikes. And he's like, "Ah." but like he needs somebody to get him out of his shell because in most respects, Peter Parker's costume, Spider-Man costume is a shell to hide from the world. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason why you don't see his face, folks. I also love that Mary is, in most continuities, and in my head canon, the first person who knows that Peter is Spider-Man, and that she figures it out on her own. I think that's She really figures cool. it out when she's a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's in the Untold Tales of Spider-Man, written by Kurt Music. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think we've talked through this book. Uh, we talked about the framing device. Okay. Let's talk about the framing device. One last thing, because it's the very last thing that happens in this book. I like to assume that that framing device happens when this book was published. So mm-hmm. this book comes out in 2002. That's the Spider-Man of 2002. This is a Spider-Man that is during the J. Michael Straczynski run, I believe, mm-hmm. married to Mary Jane. Um, 
do we think this framing device is effective since it takes us six issues to learn what that it's more than just captions? Is that a good reveal? It, was it too long? What do you feel? This part of me that feels like they waited too long to tell us you, that's what this would is. Would you have liked it better if there was maybe even a single panel in the first issue? Maybe. That was like Peter, that, that showed you Peter in the attic? I think so. Yes, I, I do actually think so. I think that's tough for me because um, I read this all in one go. I read this as a trade paperback. And I think if you read it as a collection, it reads quite quick. Yes, I agree. Um I never felt like it took too long, and I think the payoff is very nice, but I could see how if you write this over six months, if you were reading this month to month, and I'm assuming it came out on time, which, uh, you know, who knows, mm-hmm. um, I could see how that might feel frustrating. And you're like, is this supposed to be intentionally throwbacky to like a Stan Lee Ditko era with the caption boxes? I think it's ultimately effective, though, and I like it. Uh, cool. Uh, Ashley, give me your thoughts on... Um something else about Spider-Man Blue because as I'm trying to do some work on my iPad, it's not working. Um, here's a funny <laughs> thing about Tim Sale's art. Okay. Tim Sale, um, I mentioned um, toward the top when you first asked me about it, right? He's all line work and Spider-Man characters often have very specific hairdos, including the male characters and I love the way he draws Norman the Osborne, Osborne, Harry, Harry Osborne hair. It makes me laugh so every time. It's so funny. It looks like mashed potatoes on top of somebody's head. All right. <laughs> That's so mean. That's exactly what it looks like. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Jason popping in here real quick because I got to interrupt the podcast to make sure that the lights stay on at the Mind University and thank one of our amazing sponsors. Today's sponsor is Wix, W-I-X. If you don't know what Wix is, well, Wix is a super website building website. Over 140 million super people, yes, they're Kryptonians, use Wix for their website. You can start and publish your website there for free. They have 500 stunning templates from start to scratch. I'm currently redesigning my site with Wix right now, try to make it a little bit more authorly, try to make it a little bit more nerdy, try to make it more authentic and I can do that through Wix because they have all kinds of galleries and forms and buttons and social bars. I've actually thought about making my site like that oh that old MySpace site where like there's dancing Spider-Mans in the background. I'm very certain you can do that with Wix. So you can get your own website and start building it right now by going to wix.com. That's w i x.com/podcast to get 10% off. That's wix.com slash podcast. And now, back to the show. 
So Spider-Man Blue, actually by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, yeah. um, on a scale of one to five Bregos, Brego the intern, GHL intern cat, what would you give this book, five being the best? Okay, if you would have asked me before the most recent reread, I probably would have said five out of five Bregos, sight unseen. This book hit me really hard when I first read it. I liked it a lot. We've recommended it over the course of several different Spider-Man episodes here on the podcast. Revisiting it, I don't know if it has as much staying power as some of their other work or other Spider-Man stories. I think it's really good, but we hit on it when when we were planning this lesson and when we were talking through it. Um, it's not the most dynamic storytelling, and that's not the most inventive storytelling. It lives or dies on the moodiness and on the art um, and on the coloring. And while I think that's effective... I don't know if in the pantheon of Spider-Man stories, um, I don't know if it necessarily deserves to be on the same shelf as something like Craven's Last Hunt or even the death of Gwen Stacy. So I'm going to give it four out of five Bregos. I really, really enjoyed it. But sometimes when you revisit something, you realize new things about it for good and for ill. So I don't think it's as perfect as I once did. I still really like it. I still recommend people pick it up. How about you? I think, and I think you kind of nailed it. Excuse me. The Tim Sale art is doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah. Because the story is almost a Spider-Man clip show. It is. It's here's the here's mm-hmm. Peter Parker's greatest taste. There's a few exceptions of stuff that we haven't seen, a la, you know, the Craven the Hunter mm-hmm. and the guy stealing the vulture suit. Mm-hmm. But we've seen Peter fight Norman Osborne a million times. We've seen Norman Osborne forget his memory a million times. We've seen Spider-Man fight the Rhino a million times. And we've seen the love triangle between Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane and Peter a million times. So the thing that this book brings that's new is the framing device Mm -hmm. and the emotion to it. And while I think that that is great, and I do think that this is, I would I would put this in the top tier. Like, I would, you know, if you were telling me, like, what is the greatest, like, name the greatest Spider-Man stories of all time, I think this is definitely in the top 50. I think it definitely comes into the conversation for sure. 100%. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think, I think this is great the first time you read it. Mm-hmm. And when you reread it, I think it just... Yeah, you don't enjoy it as much. So that's why I'm going to give this a 3.5. That's fine. Out of 5. I, Which I, 0.5? Mm-hmm. The front point five? Do we get Brego's cute face? You're cutting our cat in half. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> I don't I never really quite understand the question you're asking. Um, so, 3.5 out of 5. It's it's a good read, but I don't know if I would put it in the top 10 Spider-Man stories of all time. I agree with that. So, um, and I know that might be invalidating several key Kestrel lessons that we've done in the past. But Hey, we're complicated beings. We contain multitudes. We bloom and we grow. That's right. Now, the great thing is, is that when we do book club, we get some great questions from the Patreon over at patreon.com slash Jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N. Ashley, what, what's some of the stuff they can find over there? Oh, man, so many things. We do, of course, the Geek History Lesson Extra podcast where we talk for what is supposed to be 10 to 15, but is often 20 to 30 extra minutes about a topic relating to something to do with the main lesson. We'll be doing more Spider-Man talk over there today. We do Jason and Ashley's Excellent Adventures. That's our more personal podcast. And we let people interact with us directly. Now, this is for any level. Mm -hmm. And ask questions and comments and concerns and make jokes for our book club episodes. Now, yes, for the book club episodes, even at $1 a month, you get to comment on 
the book, give your thoughts, give a question, and we will read that on the episode. Um, you know, as much as we can. Like, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, you know, you know, I, we love all the comments, but you know, we also can't read a, a novel every time. So um, we grab as many of them as we could. So if we don't, we miss your comments. I apologize. But uh, we're here to read as many of them as we can. We have a lot of great comments for this month. Yeah. So um, the first one comes from Alan Pleskin, who says, awesome read. Really enjoyed this one. Okay. So my question for you is a simple one. What makes Spider-Man Blue stand out so much from all the other Spidey stories? He's like, we had so many good ones over the years, but this one is always remembered and recommended by many people. Yet it's a simple incontinuity story about Peter talking to a tape recorder, remembering not the death of Gwen, but his first encounter with her and MJ and the love triangle that followed. What is your opinion on this? What makes Spider-Man Blue stand out? It's beautiful. I think it's it's the name. Mm-hmm. It's Spider-Man Blue. I, I, I honestly think it's so. The colored Marvel stories do stand out. They like because you remember them because they're easy to remember. They whole whole gray, dared over yellow. Literally stand out on the shelf. Yes, and it's the Tim. I honestly think it's the Tim Cell art mm-hmm. because Tim Cell honestly hasn't worked on that many comic books. No, that's true. Um, but he is legendary and also very nice man. He is very nice. Uh, Jordan Wilson has a question here. My question is, the killing or victimization of female characters for the personal and character development of male ones is a common trope slash device in pretty much all mediums. Do you think Gwen Stacy is another example of this? Why slash why not? What Ashley, a good question, Jordan. I'm very, <laughs> first off, I'm going to say... We talked about this. You don't see the death of Gwen Stacy in this comic. She dies off panel. Yeah. So the death is not really a big part of this story. It's, no, but it, it's a big part of Spider-Man's story. I mean, story. it's the reason why he's blue. And you pointed this out. Like, this book trusts that you know, know it. about, even if you mm-hmm. haven't read the issue, that you know that this happened. What do you feel about Gwen Stacy, actually, in this, in this, in Jordan's, uh, you know, uh, question? Ideas. Yeah, question. Um, I think it's a very apt observation. I think it is very um, uh, uh, symptomatic of comic book storytelling in particular. Like in Disney, we like to kill people's parents. Uh, with male characters, their female counterpart gets killed. With female characters, their baby gets killed. Or their dad. Uh, yeah. Um, I think... It's hard to be critical of the Gwen Stacy death because of when it was created. Mm. I think if this were a modern story, if Spider-Man were, if Spider-Man had been created in 2002, if this was an origin story and we got a death of Gwen Stacy, I think it's a little lazy. And I think if that's how you want to give your male character meaning, you have to do it better. Can I give you a devil's advocate here? Sure, absolutely. Um, well, not a devil's advocate, but um, there has been a modern story, a Spider-Man story that has done this. Miles Morales, his mom dies. That's his mom, though. That's not his love interest. Okay, okay. You think uh, love interest is different. I okay. do. I do. Um, and I think it it's a move that can often devalue the importance of that character if their only functionality is to die, right? Okay. Like, we make the same observation about Barry Allen. Barry Allen's best story is when he died, but Barry Allen isn't, um, the book is called The Flash. Barry Allen is the hero of it. Um, the book is not called um, Iris West mm-hmm. and then, like, Barry Allen, her boyfriend dies. Like, uh, the same thing happens with Kyle Rayner. Like, like male heroes are often have a dramatic push at the hands of at victimizing the female instead of victimizing them directly. Um, which, while is very effective, and I'm not saying it shouldn't be done, when you look at it over the scope of storytelling, you're like, that's a little ugly. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that I don't think Gwen Stacy is a, is a 
representation of this trope because I think Gwen Stacy began this trope. I Maybe. Think, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think all the ones after this mm-hmm. or after Gwen Stacy's death have been trying to get to the same level. I think it's become a trope where all these comic book creators are trying to reach the Gwen Stacy heights. I think that's I think that's a fair observation. And the Gwen Stacy storyline works because it was the first. Like nobody expected Gwen Stacy to die because at that time you didn't kill your comic book characters. Mm-hmm. You didn't do it. So when they did it, everybody was like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. So, um I, so that's why I would not put Gwen Stacy as an example of this. I think Gwen Stacy is the progenitor of this. I also think she has transcended it, but I think I think it's something to be aware of and if you want to be a storyteller and you're electing to use this trope, I think the onus is on you to do it well and to earn it. And I think with Gwen, it is earned because you understand why Peter likes her. Uh, Lance Kaminsky says, do you feel Craven was the best choice to be the man pulling all the strings <laughs> for the villains? Since this storyline was more about Gwen and Peter's first love, first feel in love, do they really need to add uh, all the villains were working for Craven? I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit. I don't think they needed to add Craven was pulling the strings on the villains. I think I have a feeling that this was an editor's note. Mm-hmm. Where the editors is like, you gotta put some plot in here, or else the readers are just gonna get bored. So can you say that one of the villains are controlling all the villains? I don't mind things? it being Craven. Like Craven being in charge is fine to me. If it had been like, if the Rhino had been in charge, it would have been like, this feels strange. I fine. actually don't mind Craven being in charge because most of Spider-Man's villains are animal based. Yeah, and then the idea the that the hunter is controlling all the animals, I don't mind it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, I think it was just the. I think this was an editor note or they were like, we have to connect this somehow sure. more than the tape recorder. So, all right. Uh, Nicholas Baldwin, first, glad to see that others have commented for this month's club. Us too. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Still in the first few pages, but the art is beautiful. Is there something else you would recommended reading with the same artist? Um, also, what did you think of Jake Gyllenhaal's performance of Mysterio? Uh, this is a Spider-Man Far From Home question. Uh, I'm on the fence. Ashley, uh, you're the Tim Sale lover. I do. Uh, recommend Sale. some other recommended reading from Tim Sale. Also, go buy art from Tim Sale at Comic Book Conventions. It's reasonably priced, and he has a lot of great pages. I would recommend, if you like this, I think Daredevil Yellow is a really good... If this is your first uh, exposure to Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale... Um, Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man Yellow Daredevil Yellow is basically this same type of story but for Daredevil um, I think it's less good oh I think it's better but uh, that's okay we can we can mm-hmm. disagree this is the internet um, if you like Daredevil maybe it's better I'm mm-hmm. like Daredevil's fine um, I think that's a really good one and then I would say read The Long Halloween it's prob- Batman Long probably Halloween. my favorite Batman story of all time and then Batman Dark Victory which is, again, less perfect, um, but I like better because it's a Robin origin story. Mm-hmm. I think those are the ones that are still in print and the most accessible. Um, and then go to Comic Book Database and read everything else he's ever done. There you go. He's amazing. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was fine as Mysterio. I liked him. There you go. Uh, Brock Severson said, I also noticed a lot of themes that the movies have borrowed from this, or maybe that this story has similar themes to a lot of other Spider-Man stories. I think that's more on the the note there. I definitely Um, think, though, that if you're making a Spider-Man movie, you read this book. Sure. Things such as the death of Gwen Stacy, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Peter and Harry living together, original trilogy, Flash and Awe of Spider-Man, and Peter giving a hard 
can give me a hard time, MCU. Are there any other themes you notice? Are there themes you would take and put into a future Spider-Man movie? Now, the interesting thing about this, Brock, is that I don't think those themes come from this story. Those themes come from just Spider-Man comic books, the 1970s Spider-Man comic books. Yeah, this book is a love letter to why we like Spider-Man. And Spider-Man's, you said it's Spider-Man's greatest hits Mm -hmm. all washed together into one story. But I specifically think that this is a love letter to the 1970s John Romita Jr., yes. Spy- mm-hmm. even the Roger Stern even, stuff, Spider-Man. Even down to the way Tim Sale is drawing the characters. Yeah, because that's when those this group was together. That's when Flash was still friends. That's yeah. when Flash joined the army to go to Vietnam. Which that's you when, read about in Jason's book, Super Soldiers. That's right. That's when Gwen was living there. Um, so that's what I think... That's what I think. The, that's the themes that are. They're not coming from this book. This book is taking them from another series. Yeah, because this book is um, nostalgic for that group of friends before Gwen died. Um, Brock, we talked about this a little bit. Other themes we noticed. I mean, I like I said like I noticed the theme of like I think the motorcycle is Spider Man in in his real life. It's him learning to accept to take that confidence of being Spider Man in his real life. This book also um, in each issue in a very low-key way, explores a different stage of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's grief is a huge part of being Spider-Man, whether that's a personal loss at school, whether that's the loss of Uncle Ben, whether that's the loss in battle, whether that's the loss of Gwen Stacy. Like, Peter is always grieving something, and that's what drives him. Um, I would like a future Spider-Man movie to tackle forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that is uh, what I think the best scenes in Spider-Man 3, the Sam Raimi movie. And yeah, I know mm-hmm. I'm waiting for all those comments where will be like, Spider-Man 3 is terrible. What are you talking about? No, it's not. Um, it's half terrible. But the scenes that deal with Spider-Man's forgiveness of accepting that Sandman murdered Uncle Ben are, I think, great. And I think that that is something that I would like to see Spider-Man deal with more. You don't see many Spider-Man stories deal with forgiveness and acceptance. He doesn't do that that often. And that's a, that's what I would like to see. Well, you can't have your heroes exhibit healthy coping mechanisms. Exactly. Well, to be honest with you, that's what I would love to see. Um, I mean, imagine um, MCU Spider-Man 3, Spider-Man Homeless. Um, or, 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 you know, Spider-Man... Um, First Department? Home on the Range. No, it's going to be something with Home. Um, yeah, Spider-Man... There's no place like Home? There's no place like Home, yes. Um, imagine if the movie is about his forgiveness of J. Jonah Jameson for blaming him as a murderer, and also, we've yet to talk about Uncle Ben in those movies. Mm-hmm. So, like, what if this is the movie that deals with Uncle Ben and him having to forgive himself and move along? Interesting. You know, again, forgiveness is a big thing. We don't see Peter Parker likes to beat himself up. He doesn't like to forgive himself. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, Mitchell Gifford, as big Spider-Man thing fans, do you think this is the best take on how MJ and Peter got together? No. I don't know if it's the best take, but... Uh, he also said, I really love this book. Sorry. I Like I said, I do really like Gwen and Mary's relationship, and I wish that's something that we could see more of in other uh, stories and mediums. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carter Lyons says, this is my favorite Spider-Man comic book of all time. Grew my love of MJ and Gwen and is essential to understanding why they are so both important to Peter. Yeah, I think this is a great... Mm-hmm. Um, I think this definitely gives you a big importance on Mary Jane. Uh, Taryn Newman says, first time reading this series, having lost friends, family, and lovers, I thought it hit a lot of those feelings just right. I totally agree. I definitely agree with that. Uh, with a couple of panels with MJ, when she checks Peter, checks on Peter, makes me appreciate the relationship more. The fights with the big bads are fun to see. The finale fight with Craven was a bit of a letdown, yes. Uh, it's also interesting they didn't show the lead up to Gwen's death. Uh, I know but it has to be. that's because that's... Mm-hmm. The, the event and how it happened, that's not what 
what's important. It's, yes. the, it's the aftermath. It's everything that spilled out of that. That's important. That's why you don't see it. And then Taryn finishes with, thank you for choosing this book. I'm going to recommend it to people moving forward. It, I, I think, again, I, even though we kind of knock this book a little bit, it is. I think it is a great Spider-Man book to recommend. This is also a great book. Um, but it can't be your first. When I worked in a comic book shop, this is a great gift birthdays, holidays, anything like that. This is a great gift to a Spider-Man fan who wants to read more comics. Ken Taylor said, as a kid, I didn't care about Gwen Stacy as a character because she was always killed off about 20 years before I was born, just like us. Uh, That is why I was always find it ironic that she is a key factor of this great story. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Ken. Anthony Torres says, one of the reasons I love this book is it made me reconsider characters I thought I'd figured out and stands out to me as more of a Peter Parker book than a Spider-Man book. True. All the best Spider-Man stories are Peter Parker stories, not Spider-Man stories. It made me see things from a different perspective from the Gwen, Peter, MJ dynamic. And the question this book left me with is, had Gwen lived, would she and Peter have stayed together or are Peter and MJ destined to be together? I don't know the answer, but I would love to hear your thoughts. Anthony, that's a great question. This is a hotly contested question. All right, Ashley. Gwen does not die. Yeah. What happens? Um, Her and Peter date for a little bit. They go to different colleges. She gets into a better college than he does. And while they're um, apart, they realize that they're better as friends. So they break up. Peter still gets together with Mary Jane, still marries Mary Jane. And Gwen becomes the godmother to their first child. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I kind of agree Gwen with that. Gwen is the girl that you like fall so hard in love with and you you barricade your door and you kiss while you're playing music. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but you eventually grow away from each other, and that's okay. Yeah, Mary Jane I is the destiny of Spider-Man. I really do think that. I don't believe in soulmates or anything mm-hmm. uh, like that. But they are the two that I want to. Mary get. Jane is the lowest lane to Peter Parker. Yes, I agree. Yes, I really do. I, I think I think explaining Gwen as like, oh, the first love. Mm-hmm. It's weird. I always kind of thought that Gwen and Harry would end up together. Um, In some stories, they really play that. Mm-hmm. I could see that. You mean because she... She does for she could do for Harry what Peter does. Well, yes, and also that if you think about like Peter and Harry are roommates for such a long time, yeah. and Gwen and Mary Jane are always there. That like to me, I just feel like she would be she would be just as comfortable around Harry, yes, as she would Peter. So to me, like it, it's not out of the stretch of reality that romantic feelings would develop there. Sure, cool. So, all right, uh, what a great question. Uh, Noah Dalton says, "I really like the idea of these color themed stories. I know I, I'm, I'm looking forward to Moon Knight Blinding Black. White. <laughs> um, I can't decide whether or not I like this or Dead of Yellow better. I feel like if they had done a better Captain America story with white, we might have have more of these. What other stories would you have told with the color themed titles? Now, Noah, that's a difficult question to answer because we're not pitching Marvel right now. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, Black Panther Black is too much on the nose. I, I would do, um, even though there's a book that's already called this X-Men Red, and I would make it Scott-focused. Interesting. X-Men Yellow would be, I mean, that's the problem is that there aren't that many colors. I don't know. I mean, Prowler Purple. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. I, um, I'm sorry we don't have a better answer to that question, Noah, but that's like, you know, like asking us, give us a week and then maybe we'd have some good it ideas. Is, it's a tough question. And it's also tough because only like half of the color titles are good. Yes, that is that is true. Um, I do not like the Captain America one. Oh, mama. Nah. Um, but also that was severely delayed. Yeah, like by a decade. Mm. Uh, Tom Trainer says, as writers, what do you think are the pros and cons about getting going back and telling new spins and classic stories like this compared to only focusing on new material. 
prose, you don't have to plot it. Well, secondly, what do you feel <laughs> makes this book stand out among other retellings? I mean, I can answer the second question very easy. We've said this, the art. Yeah. It's Tim Sale's art makes this stand out and the color theme. Um, actually, what are the pros and cons of telling new spans and classic stories? Um... Well, again, if you're telling a new spin on a classic story, most of the creative heavy lifting has been done for you. All of the puzzle pieces are there. You just get to decide how you want to paint them, um, which can be exciting and challenging in its own sort of way. Um, the that That's the big pro. The con, you can't change much. All of the, you know, it's the kind of the same thing. All of the um, fixed points in time are lined up before you and you have to follow them. So somebody couldn't really have explored Gwen and Harry's relationship like Jason just brought up because the, the focus is on her relationship with Peter and then she dies. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you want to add anything? Um, the pro is, is that, yeah, you're exactly right. Like you, if you know a comic book or a story in the past is good then you know that if you at least hit the same beats, it'll be good. The con is, is that you are immediately tying yourself yeah. to that story. So if you're tying yourself to this epic, like the death of Gwen Stacy, your story has to be at least of that quality or not better, or else you're immediately looked at as not as good. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, high bar. Like you're tying yourself to this classic story of, I mean, I honestly think don't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're doing something like, to me, the best one of all time, and I've mentioned this several times, is there was a series that ran for 25 issues. It was called The Untold Tales of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And it was part of Marvel's 99-cent line. It was written by Kurt Busiek. And the idea was that, that these were the stories in between the stories of Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And Kurt in the book tells you which, which between which issues. See, I think that's a really creative idea. Yes, yeah, that's why I think it works because his issues begin and end with like you know that he's going, mm-hmm. or he gives you an illusion. Like you, if you if you read, it's a perfect companion piece to Amazing Spider Man, and it adds a lot. That's the story that adds that Mary Jane knew that Peter Parker mm-hmm. was Spider Man, which. If you go back and read the original issues of Amazing Spider-Man, there is this girl that's watching Peter. Mm-hmm. And it's not revealed till later that it's Mary Jane. And so with that extrapolation, you do. You're like, oh, that does make sense that Mary would have always known that Peter was Spider-Man. That makes sense. It works. Um, it also makes sense for why she would be so enamored with him if she mm-hmm. knows he's Spider-Man, which I also love. But if you're, that's what I would prefer to do with retellings instead of like just retelling us like – I feel the same way about sequels and reboots that mm-hmm. we have in TV and movies. Give me more original content. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want your Batman Year One. I don't want your Batman Year Zero. I don't want your Batman Year 1.5. Or Pennyworth. I just don't. And I don't I don't need it. Um, readers, if you are a serious reader, like you, you read comics, you know, very pretty regularly, you decide what your headcanon origin is for a lot of these characters in your first year's exposure to them. And nothing that any new reader is going to writer is going to come up with is going to change it. Like my preferred Batman origin hasn't changed since I was a teen. And that's the kind of thing where I think that is where it can get really tired um, instead of challenging yourself to be like, I really like Batman at the start of his career, so I'm going to tell a new original adventure. Mm. Okay, Joshua Dine said, I just got done reading the book and I absolutely loved it. It somehow made the death of Gwen Stacy storyline even more emotional and impactful than it already was. And that's an amazing feat in my humble opinion. See, so Joshua, um, 
see, he thought it exceeded mm-hmm. the death of Gwen Stacy. And so that's what I talked about with the con is like, yeah, so that worked out. Yeah. So for in his opinion, that's good. All right, cool. So we are going to uh, now announce the next book in the book club. Ashley, will you please do the honor? Because I know this is a favorite of mine. Yes. Uh, when is it and what is it? So, for Geek History Lesson number 269, which will release on August 27th, we are reading Green Arrow colon Quiver. That's right. Written by Kevin Smith. Yes. Drawn by Phil Hester. I was going to laugh if you said Kevin Smith. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I have a signed book of this. I'm. This starts off one of my favorite Green Arrow run of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm excited to revisit this one because I also know that this is, again, the second comic book that Kevin Smith ever wrote. So he is still learning. But I think he does a really good job. And the Phil Hester, Phil Hester draws Green Arrow He's for like great. the next 50 issues. And it's amazing. And also, you know, if you are uh, frequent listeners that we are big Arrow fans, we're st- about to step into Arrow's final season, so we're looking forward to celebrating with Green Arrow Quiver. That's right. Okay, so let's drop into the recommended reading. Obviously, the recommended reading is going to be Spider-Man Blue, but Ashley, uh, if they want to check that out, where can they do that? You can do that at geekhistorylesson.com slash recommended reading. We have recommended reading for everything we've ever taught a lesson on. You go there, you click the widget, you buy the thing. A little bit of support comes back our way at no extra charge to you. I'll probably throw up the whole color series if people are interested in that. Sure. Alright, and now we're going to drop into the final section of the podcast, The Honor Roll. What's that, Ashley? The Honor Roll is where if you go over to Apple Podcasts and you leave us a five-star review, we will read whatever you write because it helps other cool nerds find us. All right. The first two people, or the first person of the two people that are going to join The Honor Roll and be welcomed into the GHL Teacher's Lounge is No Blakely, who said, good podcast. They're the reason I know who Alan Scott is. It's a great podcast. I love that. I love that. that. (laughs) I love that we've informed you about Sentinel. Okay, and the next person is Ben Forrest, who writes, I will never be able to get enough of this podcast. You can tell how passionate Jason and Ashley are each episode. It's always fun hearing Jason talk about getting comics as a kid because I'm from near where he grew up, and I can picture the places he mentions. I already loved comic books so much, and you have both made me love them more. Keep up the good work. Oh, Ben Forrest, I wonder what part of Southeast Kansas you're from. Maybe Follow up, man. Maybe Cherryvale? Tweet Jason. <laughs> maybe Columbus? Maybe Fort Scott? The possibilities are endless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is brought to you by the Southeast Tours of Kansas. Yeah. Where Jason is from. <laughs> the Jason and Mentor of Southeast Kansas. Where there aren't... A lot of buildings and places that you can buy comic books. Uh, so thank you, Ben Forrest, for that review. Thank you, No Blakely, for that review. Welcome to the GHL Teacher's Lounge. There are a basket of oranges on the coffee table brought to you by Professor Grayson. What does Professor Grayson teach you guys? I don't know. I've already mentioned him on the podcast, and I just realized that, so I, I'll just say, refer to the previous episode. Great. <laughs> Acrobatics. All right. Uh, don't forget that you can subscribe and listen to this podcast on places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all the places you can listen. Don't forget to subscribe, because we want to grow this podcast. If you enjoy Geekish Lesson, please do me a favor. Tell your friends about it. Like, suggest it to friends. Like, be like, hey, I want to learn more about Spider-Man because I enjoy Spider-Man Far From Home. Well, there's this great podcast out there that talks about Spider-Man Blue. Give it to one of your friends. Don't forget to, as well, suggest future lessons. Ashley, where can they do that? They can do that at geekhistorylesson.com, facebook.com slash geekhistorylesson, or on Twitter at GHL Podcast. There's a whole bunch of ways to contact us at all of those places. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jawin, J-A-W-I-I-N. You can follow 
follow Ashley on Twitter and Instagram at Ashley V Robinson. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at GHL Podcast. Um, Ashley. Yes. Hashtag stick around. That's where we ask people to stick through the, the uh, you know, the stuff. Mm. Um, it was going to be who's the best Spidey love, Gwen or Mary Jane, but I feel we already answered that in one of the Patreon questions. That, yeah. So, um, I don't know. What should we talk about here? I'm lost. Um, Do you like Flash Thompson? We didn't talk about him at all. I don't. Let's talk about Flash Thompson. I have no use for Flash Thompson. I don't like him at all. Do you? I like modern Flash Thompson. Sure. I do not like the character uh, punch you in the face, Parker, bully Flash Thompson. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I think the kid in Far From Home does a good job. I think he's a good actor, but mm-hmm. I hate that version of Flash Thompson. Uh, you know what's a great version of Mary Jane, though? Mm-hmm. Um, the Into the Spider-Verse version. I love the way they animate her. She's so They give her freckles. She's well, she's so, barely in the movie, though. <laughs> but she's so pretty. I love the way they draw oh, her. Okay, I guess. Um, I like the ultimate comics version of Mary Jane. She's probably one she's of the greatest characters. She's his little characters. sidekick. Um, and her true love. And then the g- ultimate version of Gwen, like, oh, she's like a punk rocker girl, yeah. is, is very good as well. Um, and if you know, you, if you consider, if you want to know more about Flash Thompson, I do have a chapter about him in my book, Super Soldiers. We also have a geek history lesson on Gwen Stacy. Yeah, so a go very, check that out. Very, very early um, And if you have read the book, please leave me a review on Amazon. Go do that. Please. Yeah. So I'm uh, trying to get to 50 reviews. It really helps. Any stars, all reviews help. Yeah. All right. So that is it for the podcast. I am Jason Footwhip Inman. I am Ashley Victoria Robinson. And Professor Jason, would you please dismiss the class? Spider-Man Blue, Spider-Man Blue. He's as blue as a comic book can be.